be with you. Welcome to our second Bread for the Journey here in 2023. I just want to say that we're looking forward to tonight. We have Krista is going to be bringing a teaching to us, and we've just been through basically uh, continuing the story of Joseph. Looking forward to hearing um, uh, what the Lord has given Krista, this amazing story here in Genesis, and we're talking about the patriarchs and establishing the foundations of the story that we're going to be following through the whole year. For those of you that are new and joining us, uh, just a couple of housekeeping items as we welcome you into our fellowship. I see Connie Robinson is here. Reverend Connie, nice to see you on the uh, on the uh, chat room here. Looking forward to fellowshipping with you. Um, we have a, a few facilitators. I'm one. My name is Jed Robine. We've got Krista Smith as a facilitator. Uh, Apostle Bernie Dorsey, who you all met last week, is also going to be uh, joining us here later this evening. And we have uh, Pastor Sylvia Laughlin, and she is in Israel at the moment, but she sends her greetings. And so there's there's four of us that are serving as facilitators, and our heart is to just open the word together. None of us have all the answers. We just know the one who does, and we're inviting uh, us to go through this incredible journey with the Holy Spirit, walking with him in his word, and being enriched in our hearts as we eat the scroll together and pray together and continue in our community. And so welcome back to the table. We're happy to be together. So let's bow our hearts and heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just honor you and we bless you and we do give you the glory. And uh, Lord, we're, we're only here because of your faithfulness and your mercy and your grace. So thank you for each life, each person, each family represented, Lord, as we come around your word tonight. Those that might watch this uh, later, we just pray your blessings upon them as well um, on the recording. And we just invite your presence, Lord, to open your word and your heart to us that we may know you better, Lord, that, that we would understand what your word is saying about you, what your word is saying about us, and what your word is telling us to do in our lives and application. Lord, pray, Lord, that uh, you would just anoint Krista. Lord, thank you for the gift that she is to the community. And Lord, just that you would speak through her, that you would uh, encourage our faith through her as your servant. And we pray blessings upon her and her family in the name of Jesus. And we give you this time now, Lord, as we open your word and share our hearts. Uh, may may we all be encouraged and edified in our faith for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Over to you, Krista. Amen. And Lord, I just want to say, I am just your willing vessel. I have nothing to offer. So Father, I just pray that you would do a work through your word because you've promised that it will never return void. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So you've probably heard this quote that's up on the screen, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And that sounds really great. And it makes a really good point, you know, that our actions, they matter. And because uh, we know that our actions usually do speak louder than our words, you know, people are watching us and that's our testimony, right? Well, I want to click here and show you a, a cute little saying, uh, saying, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, is like saying, feed the hungry, use food if necessary. So, you know, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
other people hear when someone declares the message. And so you can love people, serve people, care for people, and model a great life. But we need to be equipped and prepared to tell the story and articulate our faith. And the truth is that no matter how much that we try to live in a way that reveals the presence of Jesus, words are needed. I want to share a scripture how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what, has, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Nowhere in scripture do we see a lost person do nothing more than watch a disciple or even Jesus and become converted. There is always a conversation about how to enter the kingdom of God. And on top of that, Paul says in Romans 10 verses 9 to 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So for with the heart, one believes and is justified, the scriptures say, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So even in our conversion process, proclamation is important. God did not um, arrange the Bible topically uh, so that we could study individual themes necessarily. Not that we can't, but he arranged it so that we could actually read a book at a time. It was actually much later after the Bible had been in printed form that chapters and verses were even added. But the Bible is God's truth to us about himself. And so it's so important that we read it for ourselves so we can be equipped. So you and I can be equipped by the Holy Spirit and then prepared to share with others about our great God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying all of that to just continue to encourage you and say that I think it is such a wonderful thing that we are meeting here together to fellowship over this word and as we just saw from the scripture, it is so important. But I want to begin by taking us back because I know we've been much into the story of Joseph. And last week, Jed um, shared with us about the covenant and the seed of the woman and, and bringing a lot of revelation and um, insight into this covenant, this everlasting covenant that the Lord has made with us, which ultimately has brought us salvation through Jesus Christ. We're in the story of Joseph, but it's so fundamentally important that we really have a grasp on the characters that we've just sort of flown by in our reading over the last couple of weeks. So I want to make sure we have um, a really solid foundation. I just want to highlight at a high level. We're not going to go through all these stories. We're just going to highlight a few things here um, that stood out to me in the, in the reading and uh, just want to make sure we lay that groundwork. I want to take us back to Genesis 9. So that wasn't this week's reading, but we're going to only stay here for a moment. But remember, you know, God destroyed the earth with a flood because every thought and imagination of men was wicked continually, he said. So he was sorry that he had made mankind. And so then we see that the Lord, you know, he flooded the earth, but then he put the rainbow in the sky as a promise and a reminder to himself, which I think is awesome, that he had promised never to destroy all living things in that way again. And so after the flood, Noah gets out of the ark uh, with his three sons and their wives, 
And it's from that point on that the story starts to center around the sons. But first we're shown this man who's brought his family through the flood. You know, he's basically kept them on the straight and narrow. He's kept them straight in a generation that was wicked and perverted. Then the only thing we're told about um, Noah in the rest of his life after the flood is this, that he got drunk and disgraced himself. Truth is stranger than fiction, but the Bible is more honest and real to life than any other book. And we're told later in the Bible, in Psalm 104, that God gave wine to gladden the heart of man. So I don't think that it was wrong that Noah had 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 some wine. He was wrong when he got drunk, you know, so his free will and maybe drinking too much. But the point of the story now isn't Noah, it's his son Ham. After the flood, and the scripture's on the screen, Noah began to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. So it says that he was uncovered in his tent. So he laid there in disgrace because the restraints of his fallen nature were off from drinking. Um, and, and then one of his boys comes in. And so it was his youngest. The Bible gives us these two verbs, strong verbs about his son. Number one, he saw his father's nakedness. And number two, he had gossiped about him. So basically, he, he, it's showing us that he enjoyed looking at the disgrace of his own dad. And then he went and told somebody else about it. And notice he didn't do anything about it. You know, he wanted to pass the bad news on and no doubt maybe got a kick out of being the first to tell the story, but he didn't try to cover his father up. Um, he just wanted to tell about it. And so if you think that I'm reading some implications into that that aren't there, I want to point out that when Noah woke up in this scripture, we see he realized what his son Ham had done to him. That's a strong phrase. Ham had clearly done something to his father that was wrong. It says when Noah woke up from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. So now the story shifts to Shem and Japheth, the other two brothers. Um, and there's a clear indication that it was Shem who thought of the answer rather than Japheth, but Japheth joined him in it. So this would mean that Shem said to Japheth, you know, we have to cover up our father's shame right now and not add to it. So here's the scripture. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders and backed into the tent and to cover their father. And as they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. So it's a vivid picture. And I wonder how many children today would have this attitude of respect towards their parents. It says that they walked backward with a cloth and threw it over him without looking, and then they left. So there's a respect that's shown um, here that's out of the ordinary. When they brought a woman that was caught in adultery to Jesus, do you remember what he did? He stooped down, and the Bible says he scribbled with his finger in the dust of the ground. I wonder what he was writing, but it really doesn't matter, you know, what he was writing. I don't think that that was the point. I believe that the point was that, you know, he might, he might, and this might've been the point because the Bible doesn't tell us this, but he, he did not look at her. 
he stooped down, he started writing in the, in the, on the ground. And it makes me think that he wasn't going to add his eyes to all the many that were staring at her. So he scribbled on the ground. Well, Shem and Japheth, they did that. So now the story switches back to Noah, who woke up. And then he realized what happened. And he didn't say something, you know, like a bad-tempered old man who was disgraced. He made a statement about the future, which came true later in history. He looked at um, his three sons, and, and he cursed Ham, whose people ended up being those of Canaan. And then he blessed Shem, um, and, and from Shem came the people of God. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So then he looked at Japheth, who'd helped to do the right thing, and he said, Japheth, you're going to enlarge. And that's actually what the name Japheth means to enlarge or to be enlarged. You're going to be enlarged, but he's also saying, but you're going to also benefit from Shem. You'll not only share in his good act, you'll dwell in his tents. So you will come and benefit from his hospitality. If you want to know where Japheth lives today, um, we are the descendants of Japheth, the Gentiles. In chapter 10, we see that Japheth's family, they migrated into Europe. And most of us probably have Japheth blood in us. I'm going to make a click here to give you a distinction on the screen. Shem would represent the Jews and Japheth would represent the Gentiles. So how do we get the blessing? By dwelling in the tents of Shem, by taking a Jewish Bible, by worshiping a Jewish, Jewish savior, and by sharing in the blessings that came to those who knew the name of God. Shem is a foreshadowing of the Jews. Japheth is a foreshadowing of the Gentiles. And history has fulfilled Noah's prediction here. This was prophecy. This wasn't just a bad-tempered person who's cursing you know, his son because he lost self-respect. This is very significant, what we were reading here in Genesis 9. And the God who's talked about throughout the rest of the Old Testament, he's always described as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if we didn't have the book of Genesis, we wouldn't know what that means. You know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has not changed. This is our God. And so if I want to know what he's like, I have to study the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's really why I want to highlight a bit about them so we establish who they are and how God used them and how he's still moving things in this same direction with where we're ultimately going to end up, which is back in, in Jerusalem uh, when he sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives and he's reestablished the kingdom. So chapters 1 to 11 in Genesis, they're basically dealing with thousands of years, um, but chapters 12 uh, to 25, they're dealing with one lifetime. And it's as if you know God is saying here that all that's going on before is the preface, but now starting in chapter 12, this is where the real story begins. So just as one man, Adam, brought enough sin into the world to contaminate the whole human race, one man, Abraham, brought enough faith into the world to save the whole human race. Verse 6 of Genesis chapter 15 is the most important verse, I think, in all of the Old Testament. The peak of Abraham's life, he was already 86 years old. He had no son. 
His wife was past childbearing age. And it says, then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. Now, Abraham could have said three things. He could have said, I don't believe that. That's ridiculous. How could that possibly be? He could have said what most people would say. I'll believe it when I see it, which isn't faith, by the way. Or he could have said, which is what he did say, Lord, I believe you. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, that's the most important statement because it's the beginning of faith in the Bible at the deepest level. Everyone who believes God is a son of Abraham because of this. There's actually a lot of untruth spread today about faith and what it is. So I want to point this out. You know, faith is to believe in a person and a proposition. It's not just to believe that there's a God. It's to believe that what God says is true. Faith isn't just saying, I think there's a God up there. It's saying, I believe what he said and what he said, I know he's going to do. You know, that's what real faith is. There's a lot of people today who think you can believe God without believing God's word to say like you don't, that you don't need the Bible, that you don't need to believe God's word in order to be a Christian. Well, that's absolutely ridiculous. This is the basis of our faith. What God said, the Bible tells us in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, so there's people that say they don't believe in the virgin birth or they don't believe in a physical resurrection, but saving faith, they might believe in Jesus though, but I did want to point that out. They might not believe those, but they might believe he was a good man or he was a prophet or all these things. And maybe they'll even say he was the son of God, but they just don't believe that a virgin birth was possible. But saving faith is not just to believe in a person. It's to believe in the proposition. So a person who says, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe some of the things he said, they don't actually believe in Jesus. They might think they do, but they don't. They're just accepting part of the facts, but that's not how the Bible explains faith. When Abraham believed God, he wasn't just believing that there was a God. He was believing that God would give him descendants. If God said it, it must be true and it's going to happen. He believed what God said. Faith in Jesus is inseparable from faith in everything that Jesus said. And this is so important because of the division that so many people are making between God and his word today. There are people that are actually saying that you um, can believe in, you know, one without necessarily believing in the other. But that's not what makes you a son of Abraham. To be a son of Abraham, you must believe not only that God is, but also that God's words are true and everything he has said he's going to do and it will be done. So a lot of people have the idea that God sits up in heaven with a big book and he writes down debits on one side and for all the bad things and then credits on the other side for all the good things we do. And I want to say that that idea is absolutely correct. That's true according to what the Bible says. God does have a book that will be opened in the day of reckoning. Um, Revelation chapter 19 explains that to us. Everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I think, everything I feel goes down in that book. You know, the Bible says we're going to give an account for every idle word we speak. And at the time when God calls me to account, you know, books are going to be opened. Well, in Abraham's book, there was already this big mixture. You know, he had, we know he's told some lies. You know, he, he had sinned clearly. All have fallen short. But he had done some things, um, some good things and some bad things 
but there was this book with the credits and debits, but the word reckon that the Bible uses is an accounting term, and it means to add up the sum. It means to settle the accounts. The simple truth is that what God requires of a purchased person is righteousness, and the only thing that will settle our book in God's sight is righteousness. It means being holy as he is holy, for the scriptures say that. Perfect as he is perfect, clean as he is clean, pure as he is pure. It means being absolutely righteous in thought, word, deed, character, and everything. There's no doubt that, you know, Abraham had already done wrong things and couldn't possibly offer God righteousness, and neither can we. You know, God took Abram's book and he wrote across the whole book, faith. He closed the book and said, Abraham's righteous. The Bible is saying that God is prepared to accept us, to accept you as righteous on the ground of grounds of believing in him and his word. God was essentially saying that night to Abram, I've closed your book in heaven and I've written faith across your entire record. And I accept you as righteous because you believe me. Abraham's held before us, not as a righteous man, but as a believer, not as a man who never sinned, but as a believer. Not as a man who didn't have weaknesses and passions like us, but as a believer in everything God said. He was reckoned as righteous because he believed God. Abraham is a father in four ways. I think this is important to point out really quick as we're establishing a foundation. First of all, he's the father of the Arabs. If you want to understand um, the Arab-Israeli conflict, you have to read Genesis. If you want to understand how it all began, you have to go back 4,000 years. Abraham is revered by the Arabs as their father. Um, his first child was Ishmael, and Ishmael is the father of the Arab races. Secondly, Abraham is not only the father of the Arabs, and incidentally revered also by most, I think I would say most, but probably all Muslims, but he's also the father of the Jews. It was his grandson, son Jacob, uh, whose name was later changed by God to Israel and was the name given to the nation of Israel. So he's also the father of all the Jews and they revere him. Thirdly, Jesus revered him. And if you study the family tree of Jesus in Matthew 1, the first man mentioned in it is Abraham. Fourthly, Abraham is the father of all Christians. In the New Testament, he's said to be the father of all who share his faith. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. Genesis chapters 15 and 16, they have this huge contrast. After the great faith of chapter 15, chapter 16 introduces us to this struggle. You know, 10 years had passed and the son that God promised Abraham hadn't come, come yet. And I'm sure Sarah was worried about it. You know, she knew that Abraham was a uh, promised a son. And I imagine that she was frustrated because she couldn't give him one. She probably felt like there was no hope, humanly speaking. So as many of us would do, she comes up with a solution. So Sarah says, you know, Abram, you want a son and God's promised you a son. Um, so since I can't give you one, let me give you my maid, Hagar, have one by her and we'll raise it as our own son. It'll be your son. Well, it seems logical. She's past the childbearing age and Abraham might've actually thought, well, maybe that's how God's going to do it. Now, Sarah, Abraham, Abram's wife had borne him no children, 
But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Hagar bore Abraham a son. He's still called Abram at this time, though. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son that she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So at the end of the chapter, Abraham's son, you know, Ishmael is born, but Abraham had to wait 15 more years until he got his next son, Isaac. It's also interesting that even though Hagar, the maid, ran away when she was mistreated by Sarah, God sent her back because it was Abraham's responsibility to care for the boy until he was old enough to look after himself. But the real problem in chapter 16 was not that Abraham lacked faith because he still believed that God would give him these descendants. The one thing that Abraham lacked was patience. He couldn't wait for God to answer his problem, you know, in God's time. And when someone came along with a shortcut, namely his wife in the flesh, he accepted that instead of waiting by faith. Of course, we're even worse in a day of instant everything. You know, we want answers, answers to prayers. God's never in a hurry. God can wait 25 years in a person's life before, you know, doing what he had said he would do for them. Sometimes it's about what God's trying to work out of us or the character God's trying to build in us, that it can't be established and done right when he gives you the word or he calls you into the ministry. Sometimes it's the process, you know, with the refiner's fire we have to go through before uh, these things can come into fruition. There's pl plenty of people who promise one thing and fail to keep their promises, but you'll never be able to say that about God. And the Bible's the only book that we can absolutely rely on, and it contains the promises of God. So if he has made us these promises, they're going to come to pass. Isaac was finally born when Abraham was 100 years old. And it seemed like everything was going fine until Isaac was around three years old. Ishmael was in his early teens. And then it, the Bible tells us that he began to become jealous of um, Isaac. Uh, and, and he began to hate him, actually. Let's just read the scriptures together. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. Sarah saw Ishmael playing with her son uh, Isaac and mocking him. So like any anxious mother, you know, wanting to protect her baby, she went to Abraham and told him that they had to get rid of him. But Abraham didn't know what to do, we see. And he asked God, God about it. And God's saying that the time had come for the boys to live separately. That's what we see. So they left and we know that God looked after them in the wilderness. But these two boys are significant because Ishmael and Isaac, they represent the deepest division of the human race. There's a fundamental gulf between both of them. And it's the biggest difference um, in, in the human race between Ishmael's and Isaac's of the world. The Lord calls them sheeps and goats in the day of judgment. These two boys, they represent two entirely different kinds of people. 
It's the division of those who are born of the flesh and those who are born of the spirit. It illustrated in the, it's illustrated in the New Testament by Paul. It's written that Abraham had two sons, one from the slave and one from his wife. And this is a true story that's given to us as an illustration of God's two ways of helping people. One way was by giving them his law to obey. And he did this on Mount Sinai when he gave them the Ten Commandments. And then Mount Sinai, by the way, is called um, Mount Hagar by the Arabs. And as believers, we are among the children that God promised, just as Isaac was. So we who are born of the Holy Spirit are persecuted now by those of the world, just as Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. The scriptures say that God told Abraham to send away the slave and her son because the slave wasn't the child of promise. In simple language, all the Ishmaels of this world will try to inherit the kingdom of God by trying to be good or trying to be helpful. And they're going to fail because that way is slavery. All who are Isaacs have been born of the spirit and will receive an inheritance because of faith. And that's the difference. So I want us to look at two scriptures to establish, establish this point in the New Testament. Galatians 4, starting at verse 22, says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born, born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Romans 9, verses 6 to 9 explain it this way. Not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham does not make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too, this means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So for the sake of time, I'm skipping past a very significant part of the story when God tests um, Abraham with his son Isaac, but we've all, hopefully you've had covered that in your reading and been following along with breadcrumb videos to enhance that. But uh, let's just assume that we've we've gotten past that part. And, and after this time of testing, Isaac had grown up now and he married Rebecca. And Rebecca became pregnant with twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And they were wrestling so much within her uterus that Rebecca asked God, why is this happening to me? And the Lord answers her. He tells her the sons in your womb will become two nations. The two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other nation and your older son will serve your younger son. Jacob, whose name means supplanter, conniver and schemer. Well, he, you know, as you've read, he cheats Esau out of the two most valuable things in ancient life his birthright, which equated to an inheritance, and the deathbed blessing of his father. Esau, in what, what reads like one of the dumbest acts in the Bible, he willingly trades in his rich inheritance as the firstborn 
for a bowl of hot soup. As the oldest son, Esau would have gotten a double share of the family's estate. The soup was definitely overpriced. And the story reads like a setup as though Jacob, you know, waited for just the right time when Esau came home from this hunt exhausted and starving. And then later their father Isaac intends, you know, we see he intended to give the deathbed blessing to Esau. This blessing would have put Esau in charge of the family. Isaac knows this blessing is more than a prayer. It's a promise that he expects God to bring to life for Esau. But that doesn't happen because their mom, Rebecca, helps Jacob to trick Isaac, who's old and blind at this point, into thinking that Jacob was actually Esau. So Isaac is convinced and he goes ahead and blesses Jacob. But to him, it was the wrong son with words that he can't take back. And when Esau shows up later, the only words left for him sound more like a curse than a blessing. He begged his father and he even said, Father, don't you have another blessing? And to Esau, Esau Isaac said, you will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of heaven above. So Esau is furious and he vows to kill Jacob as soon as his father dies. So Jacob leaves the country and he heads north to the home of his mother's uh, brother Laban. Now Jacob then goes out um, from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from, awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Centuries later, when Jesus met a man uh, called Nathaniel, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than these. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Jesus was saying, I am Jacob's ladder. I'm the link between heaven and earth. I am the new ladder. I just think that's so awesome how we see these things carried from the Old Testament prophecy that's carried and revelation that comes and is fulfilled in Jesus. And we, if we didn't read the Old Testament, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know it. We wouldn't see it. We would miss so much that's rich for us in the New Testament. Well, back to Jacob. Isn't it amazing who God chooses? 
You know, Jacob was a manipulator and a cheater, but God. We see God's sovereignty in this story. God knew how it would go from the start. Remember when Rebecca asked while they were in her uterus and they were fighting inside, and God said that there'll be two nations and the older will serve the younger? He already knew that Jacob would get the blessing. And I just want to park right here for one second with personal thoughts. I just think this is so incredible because to me in this, it's where we almost see a picture of um, our free will, because I just believe there's just a knowing that God's perfect will, um, we mess that up so often because we have free will. But here's some promises that God has given us. He One, we know that his purposes cannot be thwarted. The purposes of God, like if his calling and election, they're sure. God had already promised these things um, and, and determined it ahead of time because he was telling um, he was telling Rebecca ahead of time. And so I just think it's so incredible that we can imagine and know that God, because there's no deceit in him, he would not have wanted in his perfect will for Isaac to be tricked in the way that he was uh, for this to all come about, for his sons to son to be a deceiver and cause this to happen in this way. But what I see in this is that even in the midst of our free will, that we've got that promise that God will turn all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So his will cannot be thwarted. He's chosen um, Jacob, even though he knows he's going to be a deceiver, but it's going to take some time for the Lord to get that stuff out of Jacob. But in the meantime, it's like God is working in the midst of the free will with his sovereignty over it because Jacob was called. I just think it's incredible. All right, I'll stop free speaking now. But when Jacob had this encounter with God, he's given these promises um, then, you know, but it takes years before Jacob's in a position to actually receive the blessing because God's going to have to break him first. The refining process takes time. And I think that's so good for us to reflect on that for ourselves and just remember that sometimes we're just in the middle. Sometimes we're just in a place where we've just got to be um, understanding that God is sovereign, but we need to submit to his ways, submit to you know, his word and let his word do a work in us so that we can be useful. And we'll see that as we continue on in the story of Jacob. So Uncle Laban lived along the border of what's now called Turkey and Syria. Um, and when he, you know, uh, gets to Laban's house, he meets the family and Jacob falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel, who's his first cousin. So he offers to work seven years for Laban as payment for Rachel. And at the end of the seven years, on the morning of the first day of the rest of his life as a married man, Jacob wakes up in bed with the wrong woman, Leah. By sunrise, Jacob storms off to Laban, the cheat who cheated a cheater, you know, and Laban simply explains it's the custom to marry off the oldest daughter first. But apparently it's not the custom to mention the custom ahead of time. Just saying, you know, Jacob agrees to finish out the traditional week of wedding celebrations. And I would imagine that's probably it was out of respect for Leah, who must have felt horribly used. At the end of the week, um, we see that Jacob marries Rachel too. 
but only after uh, committing to another seven years of labor for Laban. So working as a shepherd, Jacob not only manages to make Laban rich because he has God's favor, but Jacob gets rich too. And not only in herds, but in children. Jacob ends up with many children because of his dueling wives, essentially. You know, they're competing for his affection by trying to give him sons. And God takes pity on Leah because Jacob doesn't love her like he loves Rachel. So God allows her to have six sons and a daughter. And then Leah also gives Jacob her maid as a surrogate mother who provides two more sons. And then Rachel was infertile for years. And so she offers her maid to give Jacob two sons also. But in time, Rachel, God opens up her womb and she has two sons of her own who ultimately end up being Jacob's favorite boys, Joseph first and then Benjamin, who was born on the road trip back to Canaan. But it was after 14 years, you know, of working for Uncle Laban that Jacob finally took his, his family that had grown quite a bit um, and moved on. And in Genesis 32, Jacob faced a kind of crisis. He was returning to Canaan in obedience to God, but that meant that he would have to face his brother, Esau, who he cheated 20 years before. And Jacob really, you know, you could imagine he didn't know how his brother was going to receive him. So when Jacob's messenger came back and they told him that Esau was coming and he had 400 men with him, you know, I'm sure Jacob froze with fear. And in fact, the Bible tells us he, had, he was overcome by fear because Esau could have easily wiped out everything that was of value to Jacob and even Jacob, you know. And so he prayed, oh, God, you know, deliver me from Esau. And, and his prayer is up on the screen. What Jacob didn't know and what we often don't realize in situations like this is that, you know, sometimes God goes about helping us in a different way than we would expect. What we have in mind, you know, is that God might somehow remove um, our enemy or make them go away, but God doesn't always do it that way. God answered Jacob's prayer for protection from Esau by wrestling with him is what we see, which is so amazing. This encounter that Jacob had with God. And it says that Jacob um, was left limping after that. And so basically Jacob has to go and meet his brother Esau now with a limp. You know, Jacob had been plan, planning um, that if Esau attacked the camp, he had divided him into two camps that Jacob could be in the other camp and easily escape. But now he couldn't run from Esau if he tried. He was totally dependent on the Lord. The way God helps us is by breaking our inherent self-dependence so that we lean totally on him. In that context, we're ready to receive blessings from the Lord. Our problem like Jacob's is that, you know, we all too often just want to use God and his blessings to further our own agendas. All his life, Jacob had been using God and people to get what he wanted for himself. But now God brings Jacob to see that you don't use God you submit to him. When we submit to God, he blesses us. Obviously, God could have crippled Jacob in the first minute of this contest, this wrestling match. When he finally wanted to, he just touched Jacob's hip and Jacob felt this excruciating pain as his hip was wrenched with, with pain. So why do you think God didn't just do it sooner? Why did he allow the match to go on all night long, the Bible said? 
I believe God wanted to show Jacob the power of his self-will. If you've ever wrestled, you know that it's exhausting, you know, that grappling with an opponent that's of equal or greater um, strength than you, it's really exhausting. You're exerting all of your energy. A few minutes is usually enough, but Jacob kept at it all night. The Lord kept waiting to see if Jacob would surrender, but he kept fighting. At what point do you think that Jacob recognized that his opponent was not a mere man? Well, later in verse 30, he acknowledged that it was God. The text doesn't tell us, but I'm sure that if he didn't know before, Jacob knew it as soon as the Lord crippled him. But the Lord didn't use that power until he saw that Jacob would not yield. As it tells us in verse 25, the flesh dies really hard. Only God can tame it. Until God crippled him, Jacob wouldn't give in. God let him wrestle all night so that Jacob could see how strong his self-will really was. And to make sure that Jacob has learned the lesson, the Lord asked him a question, which at first doesn't seem to fit the context of what's happening here. Jacob is finally subdued and he clings to the Lord and he says, I will not let go unless you bless me. And the Lord responds, what is your name? Remember, the Lord never asked questions to gain information. He knew the answer. He wanted Jacob to confess not just his name, but his character. He had to say, my name is Jacob, the supplanter, the conniver, the schemer. Only after Jacob acknowledged who he was, it was then that the Lord could bless him. Part of the process of knowing God involves us knowing ourselves. Until God reveals the power of our sinful nature to us, we tend to think that, you know, we're really not so bad. But the more that I've grown in the Lord, the more I've seen, as Paul said, that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Until the Lord reveals that to us, and he often has to do it through an all-night wrestling match, or you know what I'm saying, allegorically. But we will depend more on ourselves than on him until he's revealed that. God's breaking process reveals to, reveals to us the power of our flesh. It was after this encounter with God that Jacob truly began to submit to the Lord. And God said to him something so beautiful and so amazing. And it's where we launch now into the rest of the story. God said to Jacob, your name's no longer Jacob. It's Israel. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and play a breadcrumb video. So if you um, haven't been watching the breadcrumb videos, this is six minutes. The reason I'm going to play it is because it basically picks up with where we are right in this moment. And it gives us six more minutes to kind of take us into a little highlight on Joseph, um, because Joseph is our next character, the one we've been reading about. So we have now gone from the beginning thousands of years, you know, the flood, um, and now we've established Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and here comes Joseph. And it's a precursor into what's going to happen with God's people. So I'm going to go ahead and just share my screen one more time. This is a pre-recorded video. And if you haven't been um, following along with us thus far, these videos are up daily on our website at Tour of Truth, and they're to go along with the daily readings. So this is the one that was for last Monday, but it's going to share um, about Joseph, as I said. So I'll share my screen really quick. 
Are you getting into this story yet? This story that's unfolding? You know, Joseph is the fourth generation. He's the grandson of Abraham. So there was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph. But there's a big difference between Joseph and the previous three generations. God never calls himself the God of Joseph. Angels never appear to Joseph. And his brothers aren't rejected like those of the other three stories we'd read about uh, before this. Joseph's brothers are included in the godly line of Seth. So I think there's a question to ask, and it's, what's the difference about Joseph? And why are we told his story? One reason is that his story links us with the very next book in the Bible. In Exodus, we're going to find the same family in slavery in Egypt. And if we didn't have Joseph's story, we wouldn't understand how they got there. So the story of Joseph is a vital link, and it explains how Jacob who was later, his name was changed to Israel, how they migrated to Egypt. And it was the same reason that Abraham and Isaac had gone down to Egypt earlier. It was because of a shortage of food. The land um, in Egypt has the Nile River that flows through it. But Israel depends on rain for its crops, and Egypt doesn't depend on the rain. But at the very least, the story of Joseph is here to link us to the next part of the Bible. In fact, after this story of Joseph, 400 years go by, and we don't know anything about what happened, and then we end up in this scene where this family has become a people of many hundreds of thousands, but they're now slaves in Egypt. So also, um, as we read the story of Joseph, I want to point out that we find that he was this man of integrity. He was a man of impeccable character, but this really was not the case of his brothers, who eventually make up the rest of the nation of Israel. They're all one, representing one of the tribes of Israel. We find in them bitterness and envy, murderous thoughts, lying. And one of the most unsavory of the brothers is Judah. And Jed shared a bit about his uncomfortable story in our <clears throat> day 14 breadcrumb video. In Genesis 37, verse 26 and 27, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traitors. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and so his brothers agreed. Well, it was Judah's idea to take their brother Joseph and sell him into slavery for profit instead of killing him, which the other brothers wanted to do. And then next in chapter 38, verse 2, we see that Judah takes a Canaanite woman uh, to be his wife. And that was a group of people that they were told in Genesis 28, verse 1, to avoid and not intermarry with. Well, once his wife and his two oldest sons, they died, he goes on to lie to Tamar. He had lied to her. So she was the widow of um, his oldest son. Um, and so because of his lying, um, he ends up in a predicament. And she pretends to be a prostitute at some point, And he ends up having sex with his own daughter-in-law. You know, listen, who said the Bible is boring? I mean, there is a lot of drama in here, a lot of dysfunction. But you know what? It's because the Bible is an honest book, and it's also a history book. So I do want to point out that when we read these stories, you may find yourself shocked at many of the situations. But I want you to remember that just because it's in the Bible does not mean that God condoned it or approved of the actions or the bad decisions that we're being told about. We're really just being given all of the details because they're intended to be examples for us to learn from. All right, so now back to Judah and Tamar. So when she ends up pregnant, 
um, Judah finds out about it. And he, at the time he found out about it, he did not realize that he was the father, but he calls for her to be burned to death in verse 24 of chapter 38. All this from a man in whom the lineage of the Messiah is going to come. But we see a change in him when we get to Genesis uh, chapter 43, verse 9. And it's concerning his little brother, Benjamin. He tells his father, Jacob, whose name later became Israel, I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. So as the narrative continues, Judah steps forward, first repenting, then offering himself as a substitute for Benjamin to Joseph in chapter 44, 4, verse 33. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers, is how it reads. So fast forward the Bible 1,700 years and we see in his line, Jesus, our surety. What a picture of Christ that we have here when Judah offered himself to pay the price and serve as Benjamin's substitute. That's what Jesus did for all of us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an awesome God we serve. Amen. So I know that this has been an awfully lot to probably digest, but I just couldn't resist. We have to talk about these things. We have to make sure we've got all of these characters so firmly established because it's imperative and really following the narrative as we go through the rest of the Old Testament. So I hope that um, that it has been helpful and I hope that it's been somewhat insightful. I pray that the Holy Spirit's been alongside you know, just kind of affirming these things and even deepening um, understanding. And I just, again, want to give an invitation and see if there's anyone who wants to jump in or has questions or uh, thoughts or some revelation that the Lord might have given you. When you were doing uh, about uh, Jacob coming back and meeting with Esau after a couple of decades and because ultimately it's about us dying to everything in us because resurrection only works on what's dead amen amen and it and it took a, that's what a humbling process as well you know that the lord um got him to a place where he he could have that attitude towards his brother and knowing that the Lord was with him, have the courage to have faith and go um, and reconcile, you know, attempt to be reconciled to his brother. But you're right. I mean, there is an aspect of seeing the, that Jacob had to die. We're called right. to die to our flesh. Forward. Yep. I, I just want to say that um, this year, I, I really um, made a concerted effort to journal as I go through the Bible study. And I'm just amazed at how many notes I've taken <laughs> and how much stuff there really is when you really start to really get in and dissect the word and, and really start to look at it. It's amazing at the things that have opened up. And I, and I want to say that the breadcrumbs have been so rich this so far that, that, that they really helped me to even dig in deeper. So I just want to say thanks. And just let you know that, you know, we're two weeks in and I feel like 
I feel like, you know, it's, it's just, it's just been great. I can't, I can't really explain it, but it's just really been, um, just amazing to see, um, how many it's, it's like this flower just keeps opening up and more, there's just more and more stuff. And that's just, it's just amazing. So thank you all for Man, your, I, well, I love that about God's word. You know, that's really <laughs> what it is more than anything else. It's just that he gives us more, you know, he says precept upon precept and, He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe he gives us more understanding. He, he says, call unto me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you do not know. You know, so when we abide in him, you're right. It's like a flower. It just there's more. There's always more, mostly because it's alive. Praise the Lord. Chantel. Amen. I just wanted to thank you, my sister Krista, explaining the Jacob and the wrestling. I never understood that fully. I, I had an inkling of that wondering, but to really understand that God was saying, so let's see how long you're going to do this, you know, and I know he said that to me and the more I abide in him, the more that the ugly parts in me come up that I hate and don't want and love confessing. It's just so wonderful. I'm so grateful for the privilege of repentance and the fellowship with God, the close fellowship with God. There's no place I'd rather be. But I just want to thank you, Christopher, for explaining that about Jacob. Now I can tell people that because I've had several people ask me, what do you think that means? And I said, I, I, I don't know. I think the stubbornness and God wrestled and then once Jacob surrendered, but I didn't know how to articulate it. So thank you so much. Just amazed by the Lord. And I'll tell you, he's bringing all of his children home, the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's bringing them home quick. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that is from the Lord. He's bringing them all home. He's bringing us home. So, Amen. Well, Chantal, your countenance is full of joy right now and the zealousness for the things of the kingdom. So amen. <laughs> Jed, I see your hands up. Well, yeah, I just wanted to share, you know, I don't have time to go into the whole story, although I shared it with Krista earlier. Um, you know, it's just really interesting to be in this passage of scripture. And this is just the, the way, like, you know, Chantel, you're talking about living in a Bible story. But on Friday, was praying with Bernie, who will be jumping on here in a minute. And he just was, I was going through some stuff, and he, he prayed over me the, the blessing of Abraham on Friday. And then I had a friend of mine who's a minister who lives in New Zealand. He, he sent me a message that he gave and I, he sent it maybe two or three days before. And I just felt led to go ahead and, you know, listen to that message after Bernie prayed for me. And in the message, he's talking about Jacob and Laban and going through betrayals in life, which I've been dealing with for a few years now. And in, in it, you know, Abraham, or I'm sorry, the Lord speaks a blessing of Abraham over Jacob. He restates it. And so in less than an hour, I have the blessing of Abraham kind of ringing in my ears. And, and of course, this is the very passage of the scripture that we're reading through. And so you just look at, at a confluence of confirmation where when you're going in, in the Bible, it's alive, it's living, and God begins to bring you into his, his plan and purpose in a fresh way and makes it relevant to you personally he doesn't want to he's not just the god of abraham isaac and jacob but he's the god of murray and terence and bernie and krista and chantel and connie and jed you know he's he's touching our lives with his living word and that was just so relevant to me you know i just you can't make it up you know it's 
reading the word, having praying with Bernie, and then having a, another independent confirmation was just, wow, thank you, Lord, for directing and, and touching my heart with your word. So, um, Connie, I know, I know you were getting ready to share something earlier. I just want to welcome you in. This is my friend from Fredericksburg, Connie, uh, Reverend Connie Robinson. I love her. She was with the, with <laughs> us uh, going through some uh, time. Bernie was part of it too, a, a little group called Undivided of Ministers that were just reading some, some Bible together and talking about it. And so uh, reached out to her and invited her and said, hey, we'd love to have you on bread for the journey. So Connie, it's great to have you, sister, and, and we'd love to hear what's on your heart. I know you wanted to share something. Yes, um, and I'm so grateful to be here. And thank you. Thank you for the invite. Um, this is my brother. He's my brother. He's my brother. And I love him and Bernie and um, and getting to know everyone on this, on this site. Um, I just wanted to say, Krista, you did a wonderful job. I loved it, how you explained it and broke everything down. And I'm taking a lot of notes too. I know one said they were taking notes. I'm taking a lot of notes too. Um, and it's just, it, it marvels me that I've read these scriptures. I can't even count. And it's always something new. And that what you gave tonight, Krista, is like, I didn't know that before. I didn't see that before. But that's how God, he just, he just evolves more. And I always say you can't surface read the Bible because there's so much more richness under those 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 scriptures. There's so much um other things that we don't see. And that's that's the intimacy with God. When we spend time with him and get in his word, then we start to see ourselves through him. We start to, like the young lady said, Chantel, I believe, um, you start to kind of like see the the mess that's in Connie, and then you don't want it there anymore, and you're willing to confess it and say it and so god can clean it up but that's what he wants from all of us he knows where we are he knows where we are he knows what we've done he knows what we're going to do before we do it but the fact that when we brings it he brings it to our attention and we grasp it then there here's now the process where we're taking a new walk and a new step with him and i'm just honored you know i'm really honored and pleased and humbled um at this new venture um, that I'm on now with this group. So thank you so much. And I look forward to the week and then meeting you all next week too. Amen. We're so happy that you're with us, Connie. Amen. We're, we've been praying for the Lord to add to our number. And so you're one of the answers to those prayers. <laughs> Glory be to God. Side, side trail. I just want to mention something to you. We're getting ready to do um, and then share a little bit uh, about it and then allow um, Jed and Pastor Bernie to speak a little more into it. So um, Tour of Truth, our whole heart and our aim and what we believe God has called us to do here is to be a hub, to serve um, the body of Christ with um, discipleship and discipleship tools. And, you know, in that, we believe that they need to be free because the gospel is free. You know, we're not peddling the gospel for profit. And there's lots of ministries out there that are doing that these days. We just want to be very pure in all of that and believe God has um, has called Tour of Truth to be established in that way. However, that being said, we also acknowledge and recognize, according to scripture, that giving is part of worship. And um, so, so one of the things we're going to be doing is we are building uh, another page on our website um, where we'll be sharing a bulletin board of highlighting ministries that are connected to our community. So those that we have truly vetted or that we're in relationship with or that are in our fellowship, our community, that God, some who God has even raised up and is sending out into the nations. 
For instance, you know, as um, Jed said earlier, Pastor Sylvia, she's in Israel right now. She was last week, she was in Uganda. Um, all assignments that the Lord has was sending her on, you know, Jed and Nicole, they were uh, and Bernie, they were, um, or, sorry, Jed and Bernie were in Africa together, and now they're getting ready to head back to Liberia, but it is a, it's a call of God for them to, to go, and we see God's hand in it and on it, and so, you know, just as we look into the early church, um, you know, the, we see that the Lord set certain ones among them apart to go out and do things, and he sent out missionaries, essentially, uh, with the gospel and with his assignments. And so we know that God has been the one to establish what we're doing here. And we want to operate and function as the body, you know, and so in doing that, we want to give opportunities as well for others who the Holy Spirit might um, prompt um, to get involved in praying for some of the missions that will, that some that are um, going out on in our community and fellowship to know what's happening, to hear the praise reports of what God's doing, um, and to also be able, if you feel compelled to sow financial seeds, um, if God leads you to do that for those that are being sent. Um, so I just wanted to give the floor really quickly um, in our last few minutes here before we close out in prayer and, and so forth uh, to Jed and Bernie and let them share a little bit about their Liberia trip that's coming up. Um, because we do know it is a work of the Lord. And so just want to, you know, ask you to be praying for them um, and what God is going to do. And um, and then I want to also tell you um, to please check back with the website over the next week or so. We'll send it out probably in our Saturday email um, with the announcement of this new page. And think of it kind of like the early church Antioch. It's like we're trying to... Um, to model that in some way. We're not trying to be that. We're trying to model and demonstrate what it was and explain what it was as the ch early church um, and, you know, just do these things that the Bible called us as believers to do as, and even as we fellowship together, the things that we ought to be doing. So with that, I'll just turn it over to Jed to share a little more. Wow. Love that Krista. And uh, just appreciate this community of faith as we uh, study the Bible together and we can pray for each other and we're in relationship and walking things out. Just as Krista said, the Lord uh, does by the Holy Spirit begin to designate out for, for ministry and mission. So I just want to share a little bit about Liberia. I don't know how many of you know the history of Liberia. I'll touch on that briefly, but how this even came to pass was a God story. I was asked to, to preach for a short season in a church in Fredericksburg, Virginia, called Salem Baptist Church. I got invited. A friend of mine recommended me as a preacher to their pulpit supply team. They were looking for a pastor and they ended up just asking me to kind of stay as an interim teacher until they hired their guy. And uh, one Sunday after I was finished preaching, this Liberian national approached me and he said, uh, would you consider coming to Liberia and teaching? Um, my, my people need this word. And, and I'm part of a conference and would you, would you consider coming and teaching at this conference? And, uh, and a few months from then, I was going to go to Kenya with, uh, with Pastor Bernie. And so we prayed about it and just felt like, wow, the Lord may be opening some doors in Africa. And so we prayed about it and felt the, the, the calling of, of the Lord to go. Um, and then we started to do some digging on Liberia. And so not a great history between America and Liberia. Um, it's, we've basically... Uh, you can look it up online for yourself. I won't belabor it, but it's some, it, you know, born out of colonialism and some spiritual oppression. 
uh, and some, some a dark history where a lot of pain has been sown out. Um, we just believe the Lord is calling for restoration. He's calling for reconciliation. He's calling for a spiritual blessing. And it turns out that, uh, you know, an organization was, was started called the American Colonization Society. And that's how Liberia was born as a nation. And there was a chapter of this society in Fredericksburg where uh, this church was located that I got the invitation to go to Liberia from. And so uh, the, there's a lot of mixed motives in this group. There was some altruism, some abolitionists that were involved in the American Colonization Society, but there also was some darker motives of removing freed slaves from the states so that current slaves would not desire or pine for their freedom. And so some of these ex-slaves were sent back to Liberia against their will. And, and so there's been some seeds of pain and, and, and wounding that have been sown from America. And we believe that the Lord wants the gospel to go and be an encouragement. And so Bernie and I, I, I extended the invitation to Bernie. My wife, Nicole, will be going with us along with the Liberian brother named Matthew. We'll leave on February 2nd. We'll be there for roughly two weeks. And we'll have an opportunity to minister at a pastor's conference in the north. Uh, there will be estimated between 1,100 and 1,200 Liberian pastors at this particular conference. And so we'll have an opportunity to do the teaching and the equipping. We're going to do some breakout sessions. They really want to learn about pastoral counseling and, and shepherding. And so we'll have an opportunity to work with them in a workshop environment as well. And so really excited about the opportunity. Uh, Bernie and I had an amazing time in Kenya together. We you know, Bernie and I met through doing some racial reconciliation work. He has a huge heart for Israel. And we just quickly realized we're brothers from another mother. And uh, and we just have embraced one another and, and love to travel and minister together. So this will be our second trip. And we really value prayer um, as we prepare to go. And again, we're leaving on February 2nd. Um, I just want to give a few minutes to Bernie to share a little bit of his heart. And then if you want to know more information, uh, we can pop up in the chat uh, just the website, you know, we're not raising any money for ourselves. This would just be uh, anyone that would have in their heart to sow um, and pray about it. And this would be the way that where we're collecting the resources together for our travel expenses. Most of our in-country expenses are being covered by our brothers and sisters in Liberia, but um, value your prayers. We think this is a significant opportunity to make an impact for the kingdom. And we would look forward to bringing you a report from Liberia, but uh, Bernie, over to you, brother. Would love to hear a, a little bit from your heart as well. And if I if I forgot anything, uh, let me know, and and you know, feel free to cover what I might have left out. Yeah, no, thanks, Chad, and thanks, um, you know, everyone, just for for listening and giving us a few minutes here. Krista, thank you so much um, for your spirit and um, just for being a, a sister uh, that we've already come to cherish so much. Um, <clears throat> but as Jed said, we are uh, headed. Uh, I guess two weeks uh, and two days from now uh, over to Liberia to uh, do this work. And I'll say this, um, I've, I've actually done 12 preaching and teaching missions to East Africa. Uh, and it's a big part of, of the ministry that God has given me. Uh, one of the things that the pandemic taught me uh, was that you never know when a door is actually closing. And so when a door is open, you've got to go through it. And it also taught me that we can't reach every person in every village, in every town, in every city, in these nations we go to. But if there's an opportunity to pour into pastors and ministers 
then you can reach many more people. And this is what that the opportunity kind of is for, for Liberia uh, to get a chance to pour into, uh, encourage and strengthen uh, more than a thousand pastors uh, is something that uh, I think only God will be able to uh, calculate uh, just, just what the uh, fruit is uh, that can be born here. Uh, and so like Jed said, we really are just looking for your, your prayers. Obviously there's support that, that we can use because uh, it does take money to do these things. Uh, but you know, when you need to go from uh, an area of comfort uh, to an area where you've never been, uh, where there's uh, different forces that, that can be operating uh, in the heavens. It takes the community of faith uh, praying for people who are out there doing this kind of work. And so uh, I would certainly uh, like echo what Jed said in terms of soliciting your prayers uh, to know that we are covered uh, in prayer uh, on this side of the ocean and on the other side while we're there. Uh, we would we would really, really appreciate that. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, actually it was my brother-in-law, um, a couple of weeks ago when we were together for Christmas, uh, and uh, he, he mentioned something uh, about, hey, I'm going to be praying about that. And I responded to him and I said, you know what? Prayer is the greatest asset we have. And the way God does things is prayer and faith, prayer and faith. Uh, so Jed and I, if we were being completely transparent here, we would tell you that we don't have our tickets yet <laughs> because we're still waiting on God, but we're taking steps every day in faith, believing that the Lord is going to complete what he started in us. Uh, so as we continue in this journey of faith, uh, we, we again solicit your prayers and support and uh, just know that uh, we are trying to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. Uh, so we could talk much more about Antioch and what that means, uh, but but that's not the, the, the time tonight. But uh, thank you so much for just giving us a couple minutes to, to talk to you and uh, share our hearts. But we just want to be obedient uh, to what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. Mm. Amen, brother. Well, uh, we'll turn back over to you, Krista. But thank you all very much for the time. Uh, to share a little bit, and we do value your prayers, and it's been such a blessing to journey with you all in the Word over the last year, many of you. So looking forward to more to come, and uh, what the Lord might do, not just in Liberia, but as Krista mentioned, you know, we just have felt from the Lord as facilitators to make a way for other ministries to be highlighted as the Holy Spirit directs, so that we can just have information, stand with each other in God's purposes to see them established in the earth, uh, you know, his, our, he taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so to line up together for his will to, to come to bear and to make a difference and to see the gospel of the kingdom move with power, authority, and love uh, here, wherever he might send us. So God bless you all. And thank you all so much for a little time to share. Amen. I love this. This is like Paul and Barnabas being sent out right in front of us, right from our little fellowship. Praise the Lord. Well, listen, I, I really and truly hope that everyone will take it to heart, like especially the prayers, because it is so important and God will move. He will move. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective for bringing down strongholds. Amen. So nothing to fear, guys, as you go out. The Lord's got, got you and he's got this. Praise the Lord. Um, Chantel, would you close us out in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I just pray that you provide all the needs that Jed and Bernie need for this trip. Um, they believe that they have been called by you and are just following the Holy Spirit. And there is nothing too hard for you. There is nothing impossible for you, Lord Jesus. So I just ask that you continue to encourage them and provide for them and show them um, without a doubt the direction that they should go and just uh, supply all the needs, Lord Jesus, because you are our Jehovah Jireh. You provide everything for us. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that you bless and protect my brothers and sisters on this call and the ones uh, that were on this call, comfort them, bless them and protect them, Lord Jesus, and show them where you are working. You're working every day and you are all over the place, Jesus. You said, I'm working because my father is working and, and it's amazing what you do. Lord Jesus, help us to see the people that you're highlighting, to find common ground and to speak clearly. There's so many things that I want to do, Jesus, and I, I always feel like, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did, did I say enough? Did So help us, help us to, to find rest in you too, Lord Jesus, and to be led by the Holy Spirit. We thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for our teachers. I thank God for them. I thank you for the way that you've made them. I thank you that you trust them and you give them deeper revelation into your word, and I thank you, Jesus, that you have privileged us with being able to open up your word and not only open it, but understand it and do it. We thank you, Jesus, for the courage that you've given us. We thank you for keeping our hearts, hearts of flesh. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us a beautiful heart of repentance, that we don't want to carry things in us that aren't of you. Your word says, be holy for I am holy. And Lord Jesus, that's the desire of our hearts to be holy, to walk in your love, to keep the faith and to stay on the narrow path. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this table. You sat with many people, sinners, and you broke bread with the ones that you love so deeply. I thank you, Jesus, that you were relational. And I just thank you, Jesus. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, as my brother Jed said. So help us, Lord Jesus, to walk worthy of the calling that you've placed on our life and just help us. I thank God for your mercy and your unfailing love for it is forever. And I thank you, Jesus, for this time. Fill us with more of your love, the humility of Jesus and the love of God as we walk every day and abide in you. And I just pray special blessing over my brothers and sisters. Bless them and protect them and give them all the fruit of the spirit, Lord Jesus. And we worship you. And we give you thanks and we praise your name forever, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for everything. And I ask these things in your name, Yeshua. Amen. Amen.